Foreign ministers of G7 nations held a summit in the English city of Liverpool over the weekend. In addition to addressing the COVID pandemic, the dignitaries focused on the increasingly severe security environment in the Indo-Pacific region and Chinese human rights issues. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met separately on the sidelines with his Australian and Japanese counterparts, reaffirming the importance of cross-strait peace and Taiwan's contribution to the global health development. For the second time this year, the UK hosted a G7 summit. This time, it was held in Liverpool. Besides representatives of the Group of Seven, four ministers of South Korea, South Africa, as well as the 10 ASEAN nations were in attendance. Moreover, four ministers of Quad members, India and Australia, were also present. The large gathering reflected the increasing importance of the Indo-Pacific region under the threat of China. Well, good evening, everyone. And it's uh, wonderful to be here with uh, my friend and, and, and counterpart, Commissioner uh, Payne. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met Australian Foreign Minister Maurice Payne on the sidelines of the summit. Afterward, the U.S. State Department released a press briefing saying that the two sides reaffirmed commitment to a peaceful and prosperous Indo-Pacific, support for a peaceful resolution of cross-strait issues without resorting to threats of coercion, and emphasized Taiwan's important contributions to global health development. Blinken also met with his Japanese counterpart, Hayashi Yoshimasa. The two sides agreed on the need to fortify their country's alliance amid a tougher regional security environment. They also expressed opposition to China's attempts to unilaterally change the status quo in the East China Sea and South China Sea, reaffirmed the importance of peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait, and agreed to work together to achieve the goal of a free and open Indo-Pacific. Japan will strengthen its relations with the Indo-Pacific countries and actively participate in dialogues to make contributions. COVID-19 was the focus of the meeting, but regional security and China's human rights issues were also addressed. China represents today a challenge, a strategic and ideological challenge. We need to defend ourselves against the growing threat from the values we believe in. British Foreign Secretary Liz Truss said during the meeting that she was very concerned by the human rights abuses against the Uyghur people in Xinjiang and that she had expressed her concern to the Chinese ambassador in the UK. No locally cases of COVID or deaths were reported Sunday. Only six imported cases were reported. As for the former Academia Seneca lab worker who was infected with the Delta variant, test results of 259 of her 479 contacts all came back negative. Health Minister Chen Shizhong said that was a good sign. This is a good sign, but the community should still be monitored. After all, the source of infection came from a lab. It's an ambient source of infection. Whether it's the standard operating procedure approved by the Academia Sinica's Biosafety Committee or by the central government, neither should have any major issues. The key lies in execution and whether there was any oversight. Since the genome sequence of a sample taken from the academia case matched that of deltas provided by the Taiwan CDC, the CECC concluded that the source of infection was a lab rather than from the community. Since the lab rat that bit her carried the alpha variant, it was unlikely the infection came from the rat. 
What's more likely is cross-contamination within the P3 facility she worked in. While many people seized the opportunity to get vaccinated at pop-up clinics over the weekend, to meet demand, the CECC has decided to extend the walk-in service at Taipei Main Station until December 21st. The emergence of three cases of the new Omicron variant Saturday also prompted those who've never been vaccinated to get the jab. The good news is that new findings have revealed that the Omicron variant leads to milder symptoms compared to Delta, despite its higher transmissibility. Authorities say what's most important now is to raise the coverage rate of full vaccination. Another walk-in vaccine clinic was set up over the weekend at New Taipei's Banqiao train station to service the public. Many people turned up and got in line as early as 7 o'clock in the morning, way ahead of the 9 o'clock opening time. Many of these early risers were older adults looking to get a booster shot. I got my second dose on July 9th, and it's been five months already, so I can get a third dose today. But some were turned away because the five-month interval had not been reached. The second and third doses have to be more than five months apart. It's no big deal to come all the way here for nothing. No problem at all. Others, a small minority, came to get their first dose. I couldn't find any available time slots to set up an appointment. Now that there's a new variant, of course I'd want to get my first dose. To date, Taiwan has reported three imported cases of the Omicron variant, prompting the few remaining unvaccinated to get the jab. Despite that the Omicron variant is still shrouded in the unknown, a South African doctor, Umbin Pillay, said that compared with Delta, Omicron symptoms are much milder and that most patients are able to fully recover within 14 days on their own. According to the latest scientific findings, the Omicron variant has already undergone a genetic reshuffle with the coronavirus of the common cold, resulting in milder symptoms. Two of the three Omicron cases on Saturday had received two vaccine shots, in other words, both were breakthrough infections. This has led to worries in the medical community about whether to shorten the interval between the second and third doses. I don't think it's necessary. For the third dose, I believe as long as it is administered within the coming six months, we should be able to reach a certain level of efficacy. If the third dose is a later generation vaccine, then we will receive a better vaccine. Professor Chen Shouxi also stressed that raising vaccine coverage is still the top priority and that the goal for full vaccination should be set at 90 percent of the population. The 4-in-1 referendum will take place on Saturday. The DPP held a public event in Tainan Sunday afternoon to brief the public on the government's policy concerning the four propositions. Speaking to a crowd of 40,000, President Tsai, Vice President Lai and Premier Su took the stage and called for a vote of no on all four propositions. People of Tainan have always had the highest turnouts and supported us the most at national elections. Let's once again show people our determination to protect Taiwan. Just now, the mayor told me that Tainan citizens will cast their votes that will lead to the strongest results. We 
We can't continue with the infighting. We can't continue the internal friction. We must unite. The four yes votes pushed by the KMT are nothing more than four big rocks that stand in the way of Taiwan's development. Meanwhile, the KMT, which came up with two of the four propositions, held a rally on Ketagalan Boulevard in Taipei, asking citizens to cast a yes vote on all four. The blue camp's heavyweights like former President Ma Ying-jeou, former party chair Hong Xiaozhu, and vice chair Sean Lian were all present. Of the 14 KMT heads of municipalities, only eight showed up. Conspicuously missing were new Taipei Mayor Hou Youyi and Taichung Mayor Lu Xiaoyan. If you narrowly escaped death, how would you live the rest of your life? For one Kaohsiung local named Zhuang Jieren, the answer was to devote his time to saving trees. As a student, Zhuang suffered a 25,000-volt electric shock. Doctors gave him a 0% chance of survival, but he beat the odds and recovered. And then he committed himself to giving back to society. Now he is the head of the Forest City Association, which aims to protect all the trees in Kaohsiung from overpruning and deadly relocations. We catch up with him in our Sunday special report. It's mid-August, and a group of protesters has gathered outside Kaohsiung City Council to convene a press conference. Their leader is Zhuang Jieren, the founder of the Four City Association. They're protesting against the construction of high-rises in a green area near Kaohsiung's Lotus Pond, which they say would ruin the scenery. They're calling on the city government to scrap the plan. Dragon and Tiger Pagodas at the Lotus Pond are on the main page of our city's tourism department website. If you build these tall buildings behind them, that will have an impact on tourists' willingness to visit. The area would just get uglier and uglier. Zhuang cares about the skyline at the pond, but his top priority is the old trees in the area. Should the project for high-rises be approved, this green field would be covered in concrete. The 28 trees that have been here for decades would all be removed. Zhuang wants to protect the landscape, the green space, and the trees. It's his way of repaying the heavens for giving him a second chance at life. Back in 2010, as a graduate student in architecture, Zhuang needed to prepare a proposal to preserve the old railways at a pier in the city. To complete his proposal, he climbed on top of a train to take photographs. While he was up there, he got electrocuted with a 25,000-volt shock. I had a breathing tube in my mouth, so I couldn't speak. Then I also had a urinary catheter coming out from my belly and a rectal catheter in my anus. I had electrocardiogram electrodes here and a venous catheter over here. I had third-degree burns on 70% of my body, and my lower body was paralyzed. The doctors told us they needed to amputate. I asked them, what are his chances of surviving after amputation? They said 2%. I asked, what about without the amputation? 
they said zero. Though his chances of surviving were close to none, Zhuang decided to keep his severely damaged legs, which were scorched black and festering. They took the skin from my scalp and transplanted it to my legs. The skin on the scalp can regenerate six times. So they cut my scalp skin off six times. The way they do it is they take the skin and spread it apart, like dry shredded squid, like a fishnet. Then they staple it down on the body. They secure it well so that the fishnet slowly heals. While I was on the hospital bed, my parents said, if you get through this, you should use the rest of your life to contribute to society. After being discharged from the hospital, Zhuang had to go through painful rehabilitation. Gradually, he became able to bend his legs, and eventually, he was able to walk again. Having survived a fatal shock and even regained his mobility, Zhuang decided to join an association that advocated for planting more trees. At the beginning, he took a moderate approach to tree activism. Over there, I advocated for planting more trees and I promoted public awareness. I was the vice secretary general back then. I would tell people, no, I'm not from a tree-hugging association. It's just that if you renovate this park, cutting down all these trees would be a real pity. Planting trees is really hard work. Back in the day, Kaohsiung's trees were in a sorry state. It was not just a matter of tree pits overflowing with roots or unhealthy plant growth. There were two other major problems. One of them was the mass removal of trees during park renovations. The other was overpruning, which removes the tree's full canopy, leaving behind thick, branchless trunks. Seeing it all happen over and over again riled up the beast in mild-mannered drawing. I rode my scooter around Kaohsiung and found that they had lopped off the canopies of trees in 50 or 60 parks. They were all in parks and the trees weren't covering shop signs or anything. I was shocked. They'd ruined so many trees. It steered our association into becoming more and more like a tree protection association. His mild methods proved unable to change old ways. So Drong took action, blocking the city's pruning work and renovation projects. He insisted on speaking up for the city's dwindling population of trees. Holding press conferences and lobbying local councillors became part of his daily life. For every single tree, he goes to check whether it should be relocated. He spends so much time and energy on this, even though it's only tangentially related to his mission. We really thought it was extraordinary, so he has support from across party lines. Zhuang decided to become a professional in tree health. He studied to become a certified arborist. Then, in August of 2020, he took matters a step further and founded the Forest City Association. Zhuang was a force to be reckoned with, but there was only so much one man could do. Over the long term, Zhuang had to educate the public to rally more people to the cause of protecting the city's greenery. 
回过头来，我们会觉得教育非常的重要性。I look back and realize that education is extremely important. It's because you'll find that if you don't educate people to pay attention to their environment, they don't feel connected with this environment. They might be completely indifferent to all these issues. Education was integral to their cause. One fact they shared was this: trees that are removed from construction sites are relocated to sites where they tend to die quickly. This is a tree bank where trees come to rest after being uprooted from their original sites. But look up, and you'll find that all the royal palm trees here are dead. So, actually, when we saw data regarding the transplant of trees in Taipei, the survival rate after 10 years is just 11%, and 30% die in the first two years. These tree banks are actually more like tree hospices. Zhang knows three of the banyan trees in the bank. He had tried to rescue them from this fate. They were originally growing at a school that was renovating its running track. I know this one. I saw it in its original spot. I spoke with the school principal, who told me the school had already secured a contractor. The principal was very courteous to me, so I didn't use any hardline methods. So it ended up like this. One of the trees has died, as the other two barely hang on. Zhang is saddled with guilt over not changing their fate. Road to saving trees, there are heartbreaking defeats, but also happy victories. For example, the tall trees in this lush boulevard were saved by none other than Zhang. He has some difficulties moving around. He's very enthusiastic. He'd be here at 7 or 8 p.m. all by himself, asking people to sign the petition. We calculated that more than 700 trees were going to be removed. Eleven years following his near-death experience, Zhang has been pushing for change. Since then, Gaoxiang has banned the excessive pruning of trees. These days, the city must hold three discussion sessions with local residents before park renovation projects can get the green light. On the surface, it looks like he's not making any riches. And that's true, but he's actually reaping quite a lot. Because he's not just helping people and trees, he's also helping ants and all the creatures that fly, swim, and crawl. For 11 years, Zhuang has not earned a single dollar from his activism. His association relies fully on donations. With determination and a passion for life, he's committed to ensuring that Kaohsiung stays green by speaking up for every single tree. A new campaign aims to encourage restaurants to cater to vegans, who now make up more than 13% of Taiwan's population. Less than 6% of Taiwan's restaurants are vegan, and campaigners say the market can absorb more plant-based business. The Back to the Veg campaign aims to get 100 restaurants to embrace the plant-based menu. 
A juicy pumpkin risotto full of chestnuts is a delightful full dinner. If the taste of oats is a shock to you, don't be alarmed. It's all in the recipe. Oat milk makes an instant creamy base for this vegan delicacy. The chocolate tart and cookies are all vegan too, made with avocado instead of dairy cream. It's easy on the palate, but tricky for the chef. When you put vegan milks in the dish, for example soy milk or cashew milk, they all have different textures and unique flavors. They have a lighter quality and they might be overpowered by other ingredients. So you want to put them with other ingredients that aren't such strong flavors. Veganism is a growing trend in Taiwan, with 13% of the population eschewing animal products. The country has the second largest vegan population in the world. Data from the Food Industry Research and Development Institute suggests that only 5.9% of restaurants in Taiwan are vegan. These restaurant owners have launched a Back to the Veg project to attract more colleagues to the vegan train, with help from the Tourism Bureau and Sweden's de facto embassy. Taiwan's vegan population is now over 13 percent. Many people are becoming flexitarians, too, due to environmental sustainability concerns. Our goal is to get more than 100 restaurants to join with us in this campaign. These restaurateurs say that turning to plants is a win for the planet, for Taiwan's vegan culture and for your health, too.